This episode is brought to you by LMNT. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water, it's about water plus electrolytes. It makes sense, you lose both water and sodium when you sweat. Both need to be replaced to prevent muscle cramps, headaches and energy dips. But most people only replace the water. Why? Well, because since the 1940s we've been told to drink 8 glasses of water per day, thirsty or not. Drinking beyond thirst is a bad idea. It dilutes blood electrolyte levels, especially sodium, which leads to headaches, low energy, cramps, confusion, or even worse. This low sodium situation, called hyponitremia, is very common amongst endurance athletes, shift workers, and those who work outside in the heat, leading to thermal stress. The solution isn't to stop drinking water, it's to drink water plus electrolytes. This is where LMNT comes in. Just mix this flavour, electrolyte drink mix, into your water bottle and you're good to go. It's got no sugar or artificial junk, just electrolytes. LMNT has your electrolyte needs covered. Former research biochemist Rob Wolf and Keto Gains founder Tyler Cartwright and Louis Villasener formulate LMNT to provide the optimal ratios of sodium, potassium and magnesium for health, performance and energy. They also formulate LMNT to please your palate. Many different flavours such as orange salt, citrus salt, watermelon salt and many many more. Just head over to LMNT to find out. Or better still, go down to the show notes, click on the link, the sleep for performance link, to get um, to click on this and get your free promotional pack where you can get a taster pack and no questions asked refund policy as well. You don't even need to send it back. So check it out at LMNT in the show notes. Welcome back to the Sleep for Performance podcast. Today we are talking about mobile apps and shift workers because I know people like technology. We all like a good app. Everybody comes to me and asks me, what app, Ian, is the best one for sleeping? Um, you know, I've got this one for free or it's 99 cents, so it must be scientifically valid, um, <laughs> which is always a, a thing. But today we are going to talk to uh, Dr. Jed Murray, who is going to talk to us about a study that you had recently published, Jed called Mobile App for Personalized Sleep-Wake Management for Shift Workers, a user testing trial, which was published in the Journal of Digital Health. Did I get all that right? Yes, you did. Well done. <laughs> Excellent. So, Jade, uh, before we get into the paper, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from and where did you grow up? So I am a postdoctoral research fellow at Monash University, and I um, grew up in Victoria and I'm still in Victoria. Um, you didn't and, get free. You didn't break out, no? <laughs> no. Well, actually, no. I lie. I was born in Queensland. Oh, so you're, um, okay. Well, so we're straight away off the bat. We're telling lies. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Sorry about that. No, <laughs> but my parents moved back to Victoria um, before I was even a year old, and I will always hold that against them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so actually, I was born in Queensland, but grew up in Victoria. Um, yeah, working at Monash University as a postdoctoral research fellow. Um, my field is primarily sleep and circadian rhythms. Um, and so within that, um, I've done a lot of research with shift workers um, and also uh, in populations with uh, what we term circadian rhythm sleep-wake disorders. So delayed body clocks, advanced body clocks, um, and how that impacts people. So would you classify yourself then, Jed, as a sleep scientist or a chronobiologist? Oh, good question. 
Uh, I usually introduce myself as a sleep scientist because most people that takes less explaining to people um, than chronobiologists. But yeah, and probably because my outcomes are more related to sleep, uh, I'd probably still go down the path of sleep scientist. How would you differentiate between sleep science and chronobiology? So to me, chronobiology is more uh, the mechanisms of the body clock and that real, um, the neuroanatomy, all of those sorts of things uh, associated with how the body clock works and the mechanisms driving problems with body clock, uh, all of those sorts of things. Um, whereas a sleep scientist takes the body clock into account but looks at the outcomes associated uh, with, with poor sleep, misaligned body clock, those sorts of things. Hmm. That's just my interpretation. Yeah, um, it's cool. It's cool, one, isn't it? I like saying chronobiology to people to see their face. They're like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's break that word down. What does chrono <laughs> mean? I don't know. Time? Yeah. What does biology <laughs> mean? Oh, biology? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's always interesting to see uh, people's faces and reactions. Because a lot of times when people say sleep science, they just think you watch people sleep. Yes. Uh, well, kind of, and like, the, like some sort of weirdo, you know? Yeah, agreed. And the issue I have with telling people I'm a sleep scientist is either people ask me immediately, oh, I had a dream last night. What does that mean? No idea. Or they tell you that they snore and think they might have sleep apnea. Um, and while that is a very major part of sleep and a, a huge part of sleep research um, historically, uh, it's actually not my niche and I don't have um the level of knowledge in that to be able to advise anyone beyond going to the doctor yeah. and become getting assessed <laughs> it, it's hard isn't it because people have said to me what do you do and i go like oh i do sleep science and chronobiology and they go and then ask the chronobiology question but i say i'm more interested in the applied application like the applied the applied you know sort of process of that like in shift worker athletes and so on Whereas like you got someone, I'm an electrical engineer, just get it straight away. But for us, you got to like get like five sentences of what you do. Exactly. And then you go, oh, do you work at the university? Well, I have an adjunct position at university and I have my own business and I do consulting and I do some, oh, what? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so people yes. just want like, you know, just give them a title and then they, they understand it. So yeah, yeah a lot of times yeah. now I've just gone, oh, I'm a scientific consultant. Just leave it at that. It just it kind of just stops it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I like that. Um, and it's, a, yeah, again, why I say sleep scientist instead of chronobiologist, because it's people just get it uh, yeah. a little easier. Um, but like you, I prefer the sort of translational application of yeah. the research and whether that's in shift work settings, in clinical settings, um, yeah, that I like seeing how it impacts clinical outcomes for patients and shift workers. So you, you mentioned dreams there a moment ago, Jed, and um, this is actually, and by the time this episode comes out, this will be available. Uh, we just had ethical approval this morning. So we are in the early, early phase of May 2023, and uh, we just had approval this morning. We will be launching a new study uh, through University of Western Australia and uh, it's on dreams death anxiety and mm. nightmares and if religion or spirituality is a mediating factor mm. very so, interesting yeah it'd be myself david cunnington who you may know yes Haley meeklam yeah and rachel menzies from university of sydney that so sounds fascinating it's going to be a very yeah it's a survey based one we're looking for high numbers but we're looking at uh, we're looking at this going forward so this will be one and we'll have a website as well which will be available uh, shortly as well to have all this and recruit people but yeah 
it's uh, it's definitely one of interest and one I don't think that the sleep science or chronobiology community really look at in terms of dreams. It's like you said, a lot of people think if you're a sleep scientist or you go to a conference, people get surprised when I go, if you went to the ASA conference, you probably wouldn't see a, a paper or even a poster on dreams. It's more common in the philosophy or psychology. And even within those, it'd be subdomains of them again. So mm-hmm. there's no, and people get really surprised at that. So, yes. yeah. So we're going to try and kind of cross this barrier or this bridge between a uh, build a bridge between sort of sleep science, chronobiology and philosophy and psychology. So we'll see. And I think you'll um, find that that the information you garner from that sort of uh, survey will provide much more than just what dreams might mean or what, yeah, I think the cultural aspect of that will be... It'd be very uh, interesting, yeah. Yeah. You have all these different religious factors and different cultural backgrounds and so on. So, yeah, yeah. it's something that's interested me because I have a, um, have a massive interest in religion and philosophy myself as well mm-hmm. outside of sleep. So, and David Connington's the same as well, whereas Haley and Rachel come more from the clinical psych background. So I think it's a really kind of a complimentary team. So yes, be interesting. But anyway, well, I'm and it potentially also leads into, you know, PTSD research, things yeah. like that, where, you know, and how cultural background may impact uh, how anxiety about things that have happened or whatever, you know, generate and become perpetuated. Yeah. Um, and whether those things whether the cultural background is a perpetuating factor. So, yeah, fascinating. What, what, what really led to this actually was two things. Was um, a, I don't know if you've ever heard a guy called Ernest Becker. He, he wrote a book back in the late 60s, early 70s called The Denial of Death. Um, and he was an anthropologist, I believe, originally. And then another book called Mortals, who one of our co-researchers, um, Rachel, her and her dad wrote that book uh, called Mortals. It was released in Australia a couple of years ago. And that's looking at basically um, people's relationship with death and the high prevalence of death anxiety. So that's what actually sparked off the whole thing. Mm. Um, and then Haley did some research last year looking at COVID and nightmares during dreams and, and and sort of nightmares during the COVID pandemic, where that was actually causing people issues with sleep as well. So I think you're right. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be quite interesting. And death anxiety has actually gone through the roof in our culture in the Western society. So yeah. um, a lot of young people are terrified to die, which is bizarre. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, I'm I'm digressing heaps off of this anyway. Um, Jade, what what was your undergraduate degree in, or what did you do before sleep? Because I did under- a bachelor of science, uh, and I majored in psychology. So I always hoped to go into medicine. Uh, so mm-hmm. I started off with a bachelor of science and was going to transfer, but uh, couldn't get the maths. Maths is not my forte, um, and so yeah, carried on along the psychology path, and then. Um, rather serendipitously uh, became a, a student in my honours year of Shanta Rajaratnam, um, who lead, was was leading the sleep theme research at Monash University uh, and loved it and have been there ever since. <laughs> Excellent. So, th- so this paper you've done, you've completed and have published, um, and there's a few other names on there that have been on the podcast before, so people may remember and may see those names and, and know them or seen them around um but tell us a little bit about this uh, this app so um did, did you guys develop an app specifically as part of the crc research yes and, so, and if so why did you why did you design your own app why not go out and get one off the shelf that's out there already so yes we did design it ourselves and we worked uh with shift workers from the very beginning uh in a sort of co-create uh fashion uh and i guess 
the primary reason for doing so and doing it from scratch was that we didn't feel that there was one uh, available to shift workers that met all their needs. Um, and in particular, we felt we had an algorithm that we could use within the app um, that would help personalise the recommendations that they were provided with um, amongst other sort of recommendations and things in the app. Uh, and so, yeah, we wanted to, I guess, it promote the personalization of interventions for shift workers uh, by making sure that what they were receiving was based on their own data. And we didn't feel like there was anything available to shift workers uh, that did that adequately. And in particular, there may have been various different apps that did one part of each thing, uh, but nothing that sort of combined everything together. And so when we met with shift workers, uh, to help us sort of design this and tell us what they would like to see in an app, uh, we sort of, yeah, began building it and, uh, yeah, used their feedback um, to develop what they wanted. Yeah. So, like you said, there's lots of different apps out there to do lots of different things. Um, are apps in general, from what you looked at, because I presume you would have looked more broadly at apps in the background, looked at validity and so on, and see if there's any off-shelf off ones you could maybe augment or work with. Mm -hmm. In general, are these apps that are like, you know, very expensive, like a dollar <laughs> or free. Yeah. How good are they at actually measuring people's sleep from what you've seen? Uh, so it really depends on the app and where the input is coming from. Um, and so, but that in itself can vary. So if it's coming as an input from the individual, um, so they're manually inputting it, again, can vary significantly in terms of how accurate it is. Yeah. Um, generally, when people are doing it for their own desires, sort of their own feedback, they tend to be uh, fairly um, accurate. Um, or the inputs might be coming from, say, a smartwatch or something like that. Um, and then you've got the apps that um, uh, that people have that on their phone and they might have their phone beside their bed at night, recording sleep, those sorts of things. Uh, and they all vary in, in their validity, I suppose, or accuracy. Um, and so, yeah, we wanted to make sure that what we were building uh, was as accurate as possible. Um, it isn't quite finished being developed yet. And so at the point of which this paper was uh, put together and published, the app was is still using manual input for sleep and wait times from users, um, but we're further developing it now to include information from wearable devices. Um, but of course that requires that the users are wearing them consistently. So there yeah. are, there's always some pitfalls that you need to be conscious of. Yeah, so currently, and we'll get more into this app thing in the moment, but currently the app is actually, you say, it's people would enter it. I went to bed at 10, I woke up at 6. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's fair to say that when people self-report sleep, there's a high degree of variability. Mm -hmm. Then when we go more to wearables or actigraphy devices, such as Fitbits and so on, it gets a bit better in terms of sleep duration and sleep timing. And then yeah. when we go to obviously the top level of like polysomnography, then it's it's highly accurate. Um, yes. So you're always going to have a degree of confidence Um you know, I often said to people, like, I've got high confidence in polysomnography, but it's got, <laughs> like, its application is pretty, pretty low and, and cost and so on. So high confidence, then, you know, kind of over a second confidence for actigraphy, a bit more easier to use, 
And then less confidence with self-reported, but very easy to use and you can get mass uptake in it as well. So if you can get with the wearables, it's good. But I presume then you've got to do all the app development where it sucks it in. And then you've got multiple different types of, you know, from Fitbit to Apple to Aura to multiple different devices that it's got That's to interface right. with through um, uh, what you call an API to, yes. to suck in that data than an user. Yeah. So this can, this can be quite, quite challenging. I think a lot of people think these are all the same. The other thing as well is, Jed, is that we have seen from a lot of studies recently and over the years that these um, wearable technologies um, provide, I, th I think, two groups of measures. Group one would be like what we call sleep-wake behaviors. You know, you went to bed at 10, you got up at six, you were awake for 20 minutes, took you five minutes to fall asleep. These type of classic actigraphy-derived variables, what we call them. Yeah. The other group then is what we have is, the, is we call like the sleep staging you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, and, and REM. And to use a scientific term on these wearables, they're shit. But the degree of variability is so crazy. Yes. And then um, on top of that, on top of that, then just a final point of that is like, so what? What can we do about it? Because it's very hard right. to wake up the next morning and go, well, I only got 10% of REM. You mm. can't go to bed shouting a mantra going REM, 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 and get more REM. Like, how are you <laughs> going to do that? That's right. So, and I've always sort of said that, you know, wearables are great for getting patterns um, mm. and getting an idea of what people do over time. And so, you know, in terms of perhaps circadian rhythm disorders um, and even associated with shift work, um, it can provide good information about, the timing of sleep um, that, you know, can show us, okay, these people are very late or they're very early um, and provide really good information um, in terms of patterns and over time. But, yes, the wearables in terms of their staging, um, I'm pretty sceptical. Yeah. Uh, the other issue with the wearables is that um, they, they are actually creating problems for users in that, they may be making them very anxious that and like you say, oh, I only got, yeah, I only got 10% REM last night, but there's no solution to that. And I think, um, you know, the companies <clears throat> that have these wearables and have the apps that show the staging, I think they have, they need to provide more information to their users about the norms and what it means if yeah. you're not on par with that you know, and just advising that not every night is going to be the same and that's okay. Um, and so, yeah, I guess for us, the app also wanted to be uh, somewhat positive and provide positive feedback for the users. Um, not that any of that is negative, but yeah, try it with an emphasis on you doing really well. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, and you have to give like positive feedback, you know, for people, you know, in any sort of like coaching, whether it be online in an app or whatever, it's got to be, um, it's got to be, it's got to be positive because if mm -hmm. you just keep getting slapped on the head going, you're not getting enough sleep, people are just going to get pissed off and disengage. Yes. So I think you're right. But I think that this is a, that's a separate challenge on the wearables. Um, like you said, and I think it's a good one. And it's always good to bring it up where there's an interface with it, because I actually think that too many people put too much faith in these wearable devices and they make too many decisions on it. And, you know, people have become hyper hyper aware of scientific um, data over the last few years with sort of health issues and environmental issues. And I think it's right for people to be skeptical of data because if you have junk in, it's going to be junk out. And so mm -hmm. we have to be really careful about the data we're, we're sucking in and what we're looking at. But also as well, like I was saying, with the confidence levels as well, is how much confidence do you want to place upon that? Because the other thing as well is if you've got data coming in, 
And it's saying to the person that they're only getting six and a half hours, seven hours sleep a night. But what's the other side of the coin? You know, we can look at this in a very kind of left brain, rational, like objective, like seven, six and a half, seven hours is not enough. It needs to be seven to nine. But the, the bigger picture, more emotional side is, are you performing well? Do you feel tired? Are you overweight? Is your life good? Like all these other things where people are like, no, I'm actually cruising. I feel great. And yeah. it could be the fact that, you know, they don't drink, they meditate, they go to church. I, I don't know, whatever it might be. Some people have got this kind of dialed in and they're just great. They've got no stress. There might be a multimillionaire. It might be all these other factors that may affect other people. And so just because it just, it, the number doesn't meet the green zone doesn't yeah. mean it's automatically bad as well. So, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And in fact, and I haven't spoken about this much um, in terms of the app, but um, that one of the parts of the app was that every day after inputting their sleep, wake sleep and wake times they would also provide an idea of how they were feeling um and we didn't really provide any particular feedback about that but what it enabled was the users to build an awareness okay so last night or this morning today when I slept after night shift or whenever it may be I only allowed myself five hours sleep I got four and a half hours sleep feel a bit rubbish because I just selected yeah. that on how I was feeling and so it built an awareness without having to provide any negative feedback to them they were inputting that themselves um, and developing their own awareness and I think when people own their own you know awareness of things and their ability to change things it's a far more uh, reasonable outcome that they will actually make changes so another thing, Jed, is that people might be listening to this going, my God, these scientists drive me crazy because on one podcast, they'll be saying to me, get rid of electronic devices. Why are you using electronic devices? And now they're at me to put on, use electronic devices for sleep. So <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is obviously like, you know, it might be sound a bit contradictory, but when do we want people to use your app when they're using it? Like in terms of the recruitment, when you had, I think you had uh, 30 people enrolled in the study, they were working, you know, a sort of, 30, 40 hours a week. They were all between 25 to 55. Um, so it was actually an actual applicable population. It wasn't a bunch of like 20-year-olds at uni where we tried to simulate shift <laughs> work. It was actually, you know, this real group. Yes. So when did you, during the, during the study, when did you want them to actually fill in this information? And was that actually impacting their sleep? So we didn't give them a whole lot of instruction on that um, because part of it was seeing how much and when they would engage with the app. So we didn't mm. give them a whole lot. The app itself provided instruction on when they should, you know, our recommendation for when they should put their phone down. Um, and so we found that most people used it predominantly in the morning uh, okay. after they or, or after a sleep period, sorry, yeah. um, to record their sleep. They really did usually only need to look at it once, maybe twice a day. Um, they would see what upcoming shift because the, it also includes a calendar that enables them to manage their shifts as well um, okay. in combination with all of their other social family obligations. Um, so they might look at it, you know, once or twice a day, predominantly after sleep, uh, and then, you know, fill it in, see how they are tracking, and then maybe check their roster and see this recommendation for the following sleep period as well. Um, and so we didn't really, because we wanted to see what they would do. Um, so we didn't really provide any strong guidance on when they should be using it. I think but, that's good. I think sometimes we get too kind of crazy about protocols about do this and don't do that. Instead of going, 
let's just see how people engage with it, which I think is great. And then you're like, oh, predominantly yeah. people are doing it in the morning. So yeah, then you can you can actually see and you can tailor your advice because there's no point in giving them notifications just before bed or whatever. And you say those notifications then could happen straight away or before, you know, if they're mainly engaged in the hours between maybe, I don't know, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., then you can, that's your kind of window when you know they're going to be on, you know? Yes, yeah. Yeah, when exactly. they when they got the app and the log, I presume they would have like set up a little account for themselves in the app. You know, they would have put in, um, you know, their name like you know, Joy Bananas, Jam Bananas, whatever. Um, I've been using the word bananas anymore because I used to say like you know John Smith, and then people are going, "What? Well, how did you get John Smith's data?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" I just make up a name like John Smith. He works in the workshop. I'm like, "Oh God!" So now I just do. I have a a, a bizarre. I use Joe and Jam Bananas because if your name is Joe and Jam Bananas. That's bananas. That is bananas. So we'll have another <laughs> conversation about that. So hopefully I won't come across that. So that's my that's my two fake names I use from now on. I love it. Um yeah. So if your job bananas and you're filling in the you're getting your app and you're starting up, I presume you put in things like obviously your name, your age, your date of birth, which is calculate your age, mm-hmm. gender, a sex, gender, whatever it might be, whatever we're going to these inputs. Are you looking at chronotype? Any questionnaires on like prevalence of sleep apnea, like a Berlin or a stop bang? Are you creating a kind of a a framework at the start so you can go oh this person the advice could be tailored because they might have a bmi of 45 they might be male they might be over 50 high chance 90 percent chance going to have osa so that might be influencing this so that we might recommend that or a chronotype is a lark or an owl so this may impact the type of shift work that to do is any yeah. of that sort of stuff assessed at the start in the setup in this initial trial of the app um at this level of development that wasn't uh, we did ask them uh, their preferred sleep and wake times on a regular schedule. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. when they're off on, you know, vacation days or whatever, we ask them what they prefer to sleep, the duration that they prefer to sleep. Um, but all of those things that you're mentioning um, are, will be considered in the following development of the app um, so that, yes, those things can also be built into um yeah refining the algorithm that provides the recommendations uh yeah. for s- sleep and wake but yeah in this instance it wasn't those sorts of things weren't included it was just sort of basic sleep information about their preferences because uh, for anybody listening like um the reason i'm saying that is because we do know from other research that people kind of go into these like i often call it like risk stratification you know red zones amber zones green zones and we know like for example the classic one is male over 40, BMI over 30, 90% chance you're going to have a high risk prevalence of OSA, for example. Or as we get older, we start going back more towards a large chronotype. Mm-hmm. And as we get over 40 and as we go out in sort of 50, 60, 70, we go more extreme to the large chronotype. So for people who live in beachside suburbs or around the place and you see, you know, a group of a group of guys, there's a suburb down here called Colossal where people swim at, you know, and it's hilarious if you go down there once or twice I've gone at like five o'clock in the morning and you'll see like <laughs> 20 guys in their seventies queuing outside the coffee shop that opens at five and you're like, and it's, and it's like the equivalent of us, like, you know, going out at 6 PM, these yeah. guys are up and talking and newspapers and bang, I'm on open the door, give me a coffee. And it's like, and it's great. Like it's, it's such a, so lively at 5 AM. Is but that why like, you only went there once in because you realized that that's you were, that would make you too old. No, I'm 69. So I'm I'm 69. So I'm nearly there. Um, oh. I'm nearly in my 70s. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this is when I was doing a lot of training for swimming. I was down there in the morning, like in, in a, when it's in the middle of summer, it was bright, so it was good. But yeah, it's 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 hilarious to, to feel the energy of it. 
Well, you go down there at two o'clock in the afternoon and it's dead. It's like four mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning in a normal place. So yeah. it's actually interesting that, you know, these these things happen. But um, anyway, that's why I, that's framed by listening. That's why I was asking those questions because we do know. And it is and it is very broad, you know, brush of strokes to it. Like we're just broadly speaking, are putting people into buckets or bins of kind of risk that they will go through. And their data might contravene that, the objective data or their mm-hmm. self-reported stuff. But it's just this kind of trying to risk stratify and and... I presume like what you're trying to do with the app is like you said, get more personalized and more engaged. Yeah. So we can give that info. Yes. And what is also important is that people do like some level of feedback and, yeah. um, but they also like put, making sure that they feel like they've put enough in and, and an app feels more valid if they've input, you know, information. If you're only putting your name and date of birth, it does make people question, well, how can it tell anything about me? Yeah. And obviously the algorithms we use in there use other da- data that helps provide more personalized recommendations, but all of those things build into that and yeah, help improve the accuracy of what we're providing feedback on. Yeah. I think the good thing about um, an app like that, where you have kind of control over the algorithms and the inputs is that as the scientific field advances, you can just add layers of benefit or complexity into it if you can, that then mm-hmm. actually just makes that app better over time. Yes. So that's 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 the good thing about it. Or you can tweak different variables. Yeah. Um, so that's that's good. How do, how do people engage with the app, uh, Jay? Did people like it? Did they not like it? Did some people kind of go, oh, this is a lot of crap? Or people like, I love this. Can I get this? Can I buy this? Yeah. How, how do people feel about it? Thankfully, for the most part, they were all yeah really liked the app and they engaged well with the app and continued engagement because we also didn't we deliberately didn't provide a whole lot of uh you know information about how long we they knew they were in the trial for two weeks um but we didn't say how often they should use it or you know we tried to sort of see how naturally that would develop um but for the most part they were all really engaged with the app and enjoyed using the app they didn't find it burdensome um, because it, once they sort of the hardest part for them was inputting their uh, rosters um, because yeah, that yeah. could take some time to sort of you know put it all in um, but it also has a way of setting up particular types of shifts and then from then on you just need to click that button and then you've got that shift in for that day. So once they set all that up, it was fine. Um, There were obviously a couple that were fairly ambivalent um, towards particularly using the app, not necessarily the outcomes associated with the app, but just the use of it and um, the difficulty of, yeah, maintaining ongoing use. And and they explain that they find that with a number of apps. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, so overall, it was actually really positive feedback. Um, and for those that where it was probably less positive, they still were, uh, you know, provided feedback that they at least, at the very least, developed a better awareness of what they were doing uh, and what, how, you know, even as something as simple as, okay, I wanted six hours of sleep, but I was only in bed for five and a half. It's not actually possible. So those kinds of, you know, limits of awareness were really valuable to those um, participants. And then also some of the recommendations about light and caffeine. 
um, you know, there's a lot of lack of information or lack of knowledge about just how influential those things can be and that, you know, it can be really important to select when you seek light and when you don't seek light and all of those sorts of things. So they found, if not the recommendations helpful, they found the other elements of the app really helpful for improving their knowledge and building their awareness. Yeah. I, I, I giggled there because you're dead right. I think it's it's really interesting. You talk to people or individuals and they're like, oh, you know, I've got trouble sleeping. And then you talk through your schedule, you know. And and so I often will like if we're in a classroom, you know, whatever, a lecture hall. I go, okay. So we all agree 20, there's 24 hours in a day. And people are like, yeah, and laughing. And then like, say, so, uh, what give me your schedule? And like, oh, I go to work at this time, like 7 a.m. and I'll finish on five. So that's 10. So there's 14 left that we all agreed and people are like giggling as if like, you know, it's some sort of joke. <laughs> and then like, um, so how, when you get back from work, how long does it take you to drive to work, back from work? And you kind of go through all this and you kind of keep just subtracting from the 24 mm-hmm. to go to the gym, to watch TV, to have a drink, blah, blah, blah. And go, okay, you get up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym, whatever it might be. And I'm like, all right. So you got a sleep window now. Wait, you've done everything, right? You've, you've done it. You had your whatever. You've gone to the gym. You've had your dinner. You've chat to your wife your partner your boyfriend your girlfriend whatever you watch game of thrones you clean the bathroom whatever you're doing you got six and a half hours left tell me and i'm not a mathematician i'll go tell me how you can get eight hours not six and a half and everybody starts laughing <laughs> yeah. and, I, and then they go oh yeah now i can see my problem and i'm like uh-huh. yeah so part of it is about and it's like with businesses as well is that organizational design and at an individual level it's about your organizational design as well about how much time you're allowing for sleep. And that's one of the biggest tips I give to people. And I would say to anybody listening, if you're struggling about getting sleep, just have a look at your daily schedule and look at what's actually happening. A lot of people get frustrated when I ask them about, you know, I've got trouble sleeping. I'm like, tell me what you do when you get up in the morning. And then like, by the time I get to lunchtime, they're like, why am I answering these questions to you? I want to know about (laughs) sleep. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like the yin-yang symbol. It's just important what you do during the day as is what at night. Absolutely. It'd be interesting to see. It's interesting to see you know, like um, from this app and what you're saying as well, that people are like that kind of basic mathematical problem. And I'm like, you, I'm not, no, I'm not great mathematician. I'm like, you can't get eight in the six lots. Like it just right. it doesn't yeah. work. Exactly. You know? it's, and it's and it's so simple, but it's so profound for some people. And you can see people going, oh, there's my problem. Like, yeah. and I think they've got insomnia. They think they've got all these problems. That's like, no, you've got a, you've got a mathematical issue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, That's exactly. What it is. Uh-huh. Agreed. And I think, um too like you mentioned before when people um are sort of uh, yeah they're so people are so caught up in this golden number of eight um but if you are taking into account how you feel on any given number hours of sleep you need that needs to be considered as well um and so for some individuals, they can function perfectly normally on six and a half to seven hours. Mind you, our recommendation is no less than seven, but, you know, for some, they feel okay. Um, and the other thing is tr- sleep and can be transient. So it's okay for one night to not sleep as well. It doesn't, yeah, people build anxiety about that mm. to some degree. So, yeah, Um and then they get into this way of thinking, oh, I, I'm such a poor sleeper. I only get this yeah. amount of sleep. Well, again, you're not allowing enough time for sleep. You're worrying too much about how much sleep you are getting. Um, and, yeah, those factors sort of all come into play when there's 
doesn't need to be such a problem there. Yeah, and no, I, I guess, totally, yeah, totally yeah, agree. Yeah. The point of the app is to sort of provide those recommendations of timing of sleep. And that's not only, so the primary point was that it aligns better with what our algorithm estimates their body clock shift would be. And so if your body clock, if you've done this number of night shifts and you've been sleeping these times and getting light and not getting light at these particular times, we estimate a variant, like a certain amount of shift. So this is the time you should be sleeping based on the schedule that's coming up. But it's also just providing, you know, a standpoint for the users of going, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. Because if you allow them to sort of just choose their own bed and wake times, that's when they fall into the trap of not getting enough time for sleep. Um, But it's much more reasonable if you're told, okay, go to bed at 10 p.m., I can (laughs) do that. You're less inclined to fluff around watching Netflix for hours or, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's about giving people that sort of those nudges. Yeah. Was that a dog or a gorilla or someone shouting? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> is that a person or a dog? <laughs> it's a person. Oh, it's a person, was it? Yes. I don't know if it was a dog. He does sound like a dog sometimes when he barks at me. Yes. Oh. Yeah. He shout, was he shouting at you? <laughs> no, but that's sometimes how he shouts at me. God. <laughs> I, 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 did you do any boxing yet? Oh, no, but maybe I should take it Maybe up. you should take it up, yeah. yeah. Or, or jiu-jitsu is even better. I think just like put people to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Leave, yeah, leave, no, leave no visible marks. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the, that's the important part. <laughs> uh. So um, people obviously engage with the app over the 14 days. Did mm-hmm. they have any change in their measures of sleep? So, you know, total sleep time, sleep duration, time to fall asleep, total time in bed. Did any of these things objectively change from their self-reported inputs into the app so they were all self-report um self-reported um and yes in fact what we found was that they did improve uh on average their total sleep time uh, by 29 minutes which you know to the average joe perhaps doesn't sound like i think that's pretty amount, substantial yeah it, yeah it's yeah. hugely significant yeah. um particularly in a shift working population um and then we also found that we had um we saw decreases in other outcomes. So uh, improvement to um, depression and anxiety symptoms, really? um, decreases in those symptoms, um, in particular anxiety uh, and stress as well, and then improvement to daytime function related to sleep impairments. So um, they were probably our most yeah, exciting findings aside from the 29 minutes. Any negative outcomes even for individuals within that group or was that? Because we're obviously talking about group behavior now, but for was any individuals yes. that went the opposite way? Um, yeah, I probably, I don't think anyone uh, decreased, but they they were probably, you know, stayed on par with what like they kind of plateaued. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but, but obviously at the group level, it's significant. And so to get yes. these changes, yeah, but and no one regressed. In terms of those other outcomes, um, there were no, yeah, no one saw any increase in depressive symptoms or anxiety so yeah fortunately <laughs> and so what degree um, do you think the app had influence on their behavior versus the fact that they were being measured sorry say that again so what what to what degree do you think the app influenced their behavior to change their sleep versus the fact that they thought they should be just doing sleeping more yeah mm. it's a good Point. And, so, and, and by the way, you don't have to give me the scientific spiel out of paper. Yeah, no, it's just, just yourself. Giving, I'm just yeah, no, I'm giving it some yeah. thought. And I think 
so we did a pretty lengthy interview with each individual at the end of their use of the app, covering all sorts of different uh, elements of that. Um, and we asked, what do you think it was about the app that changed your behaviour? Um, and we got obviously very varied responses. But so for some, it was the recommendations. For some, it was just an increased awareness. And in answering your question, I think, yeah, to some degree, uh, there were changes on in their behaviour based probably on the fact that they were being recorded and mm. thus more aware. Um, but they built that awareness through the app as well um, with all the different elements that provided, you know, feedback and tips and hints on sleep and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's probably a little bit hard to sort of decipher exactly oh, where yeah. that lies, but, yeah. I think this is kind of akin to, I think, what do they call it in medicine? It's like the nocebo effect. It's just like the fact that, you know, a doctor enters the room or a nurse enters the room. Yeah. And so I often say that to people, like, they're like, oh, well, what is it that's causing the change? I'm like, do you really care once you get a benefit? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you, like yes. at the end of the day, do you really care? It could be a combination. Why are we getting so crazy about it? So if yeah. it's the app and the attention of the research thing, people feeling valued, you know, and, and feeling like they're being supported yeah. will, like, it's like, I, I've, you know, for one of a better word, I call you guys as a team coaches to them, right? You're coaching yes. via the app and you're checking in on them and compliance and interviewing and all that. People yeah. are going to feel like, oh, I'm getting some support here. This is nice. So they, they get kind of pushed a little bit. So they'll they, they push themselves, you know? Yeah. And so if you were to deploy, I'm just thinking about the application. If you deployed this in a company, I think, again, as part of the change is, is having that sort of like research slash coach slash consultant that would help them along the way. I think that would be just as powerful. And Absolutely. that would be actually interesting, interesting to look at in, if any app or any type of thing is, do you just throw out the technology or the app, say nothing and see what happens? Mm -hmm. Or if you do it with the coaching and the change, yeah. which I think will be heaps more powerful, that's where you're going to get the, the biggest bang for your buck because it's just like a doctor or a nurse or any health professional, you know, it's the, um, you know, it's it's having that kind of attention to the person as well, which yeah. is extremely beneficial. And we, we're humans, you know, we we want that connection. We want that, we want that sort of engagement with people as well. It's such an important part. And I think sometimes we get so cold and hard on the facts and the data that we miss that out sometimes. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And thankfully, we are indeed um, going to test this further and in a bigger trial. Um, and that will include exactly what you've just spoken about, um, kind of like that no treatment yeah. kind of, yeah, comparison, um, I guess a control group in scientific terms. Um, yeah, that will help enable us to sort of determine which part of what. And so, and that isn't to say that, you know, the app doesn't do anything, but it helps us then further refine which elements of the app we can improve upon or which are going to provide the most support um and coaching uh to but it's just like sport isn't it like I do much better in the gym when I have my personal trainer standing next to me yelling at me um than I do if I go to the gym on my own so um you know not that the app yells at them but you know just that feeling of being supported yeah uh, that what's it called like really feedback or nudges or yeah mm. those prompts yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I, 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 yeah, I, I agree. Like it's, I'm the same. Like, 
I'll go swimming like three or four times a week. And if I go on my own, I'll generally cut the session short. But if I go with mm-hmm. two or three people, one yeah. is I'll get up early and go and do it. And and the second thing is I'll actually finish the set. Like this morning I went <laughs> and swam like just under three Ks at about a K and a half in. I was like, oh man, my back is stiff. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Like, and I was thinking, no, I got to keep going because like this guy's with me. And I was like, oh God, if he wasn't here, I would just, I'd just get out of the pool and have a coffee. Like I wouldn't That's be right. bothered. Yeah. I wouldn't bother, but he was sort yeah. of held to account a little bit by it. Yes. Also. And that cool. is kind of exactly what the app does is providing accountability to the users yeah. that, you know, but they un- they are also aware that they're accountable to themselves, but if they want to get the most out of it, they have to put the most into it. And so, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it will also come down to the motivation of the user as well, to some degree. Um, and that one we haven't tackled yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, did we talk about the impact to the other things that you were measuring, like anxiety and stress and insomnia? Did we, did we say that? Did, did they all improve? Yes. Yeah. So in some symptoms of insomnia improved, um, yeah, anxiety, uh, symptoms decreased and, uh, depression, it wasn't actually a significant scientifically but we did see a decrease uh, in depressive symptoms um, and stress as well Uh, and then also an improvement in their ability to fall asleep when they actually did go to bed Um, and we attribute that to the the sleep timing recommendations uh, and that you know the algorithm is designed to suggest sleep times that are most biologically viable for the individual yeah Um, and uh, yeah, improvement on how they felt on days off. So improvement in recovery is what we called it. So yeah, quality of time off as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I think is a very important factor, often overlooked as well in shift work design. We got to make sure to get the quality of that time. That's right, time and I, yeah, well. essentially that's what the app is designed primarily to do is to provide quality sleep. Uh, it's all well and good for shift workers to get eight hours of sleep during the day after a night shift, but it's unlikely because they're battling against their uh, body clock that the quality of sleep is going to be, you know, ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we can suggest times that are better aligned with the body clock, then yeah. So... Yeah, the, the app is called Sleep Sync. What's yes. the what's the roadmap for Sleep Sync going forward? So what I'm thinking in my head is, and people listening are like, is this going to be on the app store where anybody can sign up for it and pay like, you know, $10 or $5 a month? And um, is it just going to be like an enterprise um, deployment? So, um, you know, a company, XYZ company can buy the app and deploy it amongst everybody. Um, will it be a combination of enterprise deployment plus coaching? Um, you know, what's the what's the kind of the roadmap forward um, or the yeah, vision at the moment? That's a really good question. And unfortunately, I think my answer is going to be very disappointing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, at this point, we obviously are still finalizing the development of it. We want to do a much larger scale trial. Um, and as you would be aware, those things take some time. So there's still a little bit of time before it's even available anywhere. And then I guess... Um, we also haven't determined exactly how we want to deploy it. Likely it will be available uh, on the App Store or Google Play or whatever it might be. Um, But I think we kind of really want to push this into, you know, deployment within industry Mm. that, you know, the because I think there is a bit of an onus on employers to provide support to their shift workers. Yeah. Uh, and this is a way in which they can, can do that. 
And I think something as simple as this app could be a really valuable tool for employers to implement within their workplaces, within their industries, uh, to help improve the outcomes for shift workers. So I suspect we will go probably down that pathway, but I don't think that will mean it's not available for any individual who wishes uh, to purchase or download it or whatever the case may be. In terms of cost, because I can see that question coming up, I have no idea. Um, but oh, yeah. well, well, I, I think if I think if you if you go above and beyond what's on the app store for most things, like you know, which is roughly you know between ten to twenty dollars a month, you price yourself over, and obviously that's be, right. You know, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be sort of in that ballpark because if yeah. you do that, you're just going to be there's no way, and yeah. then obviously be to be discounts for enterprise, you know. But yeah, um, yeah, I, it's interesting. Like as we're talking, I'm thinking about all the different applications and the sort of ways you can combine it with other things. So what I'm thinking in my head is like from an enterprise agreement, or let's say I work with XYZ, you know, company that you could potentially deploy the app, let's say amongst a thousand people. But as part of that deployment, not only would you deploy an app, you would give them education to kind of get that baseline for them all to start. Mm-hmm. And then that would be like, you know, kind of like level one, you give them that plus the app, and then you let them go. Level two would be like given the the education, the app, and then you have kind of coaches available for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And then level three will be, or option three will be, you get the education, you get the app, and they have wearable devices as well. Um, and the benefit of that would be from a company perspective, that data would be coming in through all those APIs. And then you could extract it out through another system like a Fitbit or something like that, that's Fitbit. And then you could look at it um, in the app and you could create dashboards, not only for the individual, but also mm-hmm. for the company. So that uh, yes. you know a manager can log in and go, oh, in actual fact, my night shift crew the last two or three nights have only been getting four hours sleep on average because you know they've been they've been uh, they've been attending to like a emergency shutdown or there's been a fire yeah. or there's been whatever, and so we can then you can start getting into moving more towards real life stuff and then potentially in the future you could start doing predictive analytics where you go on average for the last year across our thousand people with all these nights of data you could have three hundred thousand nights of data mostly it's the second night shift on the fourth Tuesday of the fifth month is where we have the highest risk. And that's where it becomes very powerful as well. That's right. Exactly. And obviously that's like, you know, vision ahead, but that's kind of what I'm thinking about for these type of things. And, yeah. you know, as someone who consults into different industries, I'm always excited to hear about developments in this area. And that's why I wanted to talk to you is because we're always about as consultants, we know we don't sign any strategic agreements with a company. We always go, look, because we don't want to be just, known as the person that sells the ABC product. Yes. But I'm always happy to see the development of new products. And I go, look, I'm happy to talk to anybody or put stuff in front of clients if it suits the need. Yes. But something like this, if it, if it went in the way we've been chatting about and gets developed, I think there's a, what, a sizable market there yeah. um, across the And I think it has an appeal both on the safety element for their individual staff. It has an appeal in terms of, you know, and what you're talking about, that really further development um, for productivity, um, profits, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. So multiple yeah. benefits, yeah. 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 And you're tying in here nicely as well with a few other measures that's of interest um, is a psycho- psychological health and safety or uh, psychosocial risk factors as well, mm-hmm. because we know there's a link between those as well. So I think, um, you know, you're going to get multiple benefits of it. So it's very, very exciting work. Um as with always, it's hard to get these things going. It takes money and time. So yes. 
Um, and and yeah. we have partnered now, and I can't unfortunately at this point mention the partner. Um, it's under embargo, but we have partnered with um, a company that is, you know, providing further support for the development. Um, and that's really, really exciting as well. Yeah. Um, because it and, will, and, uh, because like you said, it's expensive to develop these things. And um, so now we have the opportunity to further development, develop it. And then that will hopefully lead to some of the things that you've mentioned as well. Yeah. And it's not your forte as a, as a scientist is to, to develop apps, you know, no. you know, we often get that as well. Why don't you develop an app? I'm like, because I'm not an IT guy. I'm not like whatever a programmer. I don't know how to develop an app. Well, and I think there was a story done on uh, a current affair, not a current affair, what's the other one, 60 Minutes uh, a couple of years ago about all these people making money off building apps um, and made it sound so simple. It truly oh, yeah. isn't. Um, and no. I've had to learn basically an entire new language in helping to support. And really my my side is supporting the scientific input into the app rather than, you know, the actual coding of the app. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you still have to basically learn an entirely new language oh, yeah. Um, to, yeah, talk to yeah. the developers. So, yeah. We've just, we've just done it with the McLaren Formula One team over the last mm -hmm. couple of years, Develop One there, which, you know, gives travel and jet lag advice, but there's still a lot of heavy lifting in the background to put in that information, scientific, you know, um, tips because you want people to be able to, the, the, the season changes. So the travel direction of travel changes. So there's actually a lot of, the, the logic has to be written. It's not just like, oh, just, it just goes off and finds things like, you know, and this is, <laughs> exactly. this, this, and this is what a lot of people think. And that's why, recently actually on our website we wrote an article what tim smitty's did on on chat gbt which i think is fascinating the way tim approached it was brilliant because tim actually took three or four of our recent blogs and then put them into asked the same question of the blogs into chat gbt mm. and chat gbt came out with different answers yeah right what was interesting was chat gbt was basically just going and finding just and again it comes back to our conversation about junk in junk out Mm -hmm. and ChatGPT was coming back with these paragraphs and some of them were correct or in the ballpark but then it was given like the wrong references and so on and it was just taken but, but then when you when you went and searched those things you might kind of find what where they were coming from but the, it, if, if people are writing shit articles on the internet ChatGPT is just going to find those shit articles and give them to you so that's the danger of those things people call it artificial intelligence i don't think there's an intelligence about it really mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. i think it's just a, a artificially regurgitating to you yes so you still need to look at these things with a degree of skepticism you have to have you still have to have like a scientist whatever it actually makes life easier obviously to generate lots of information Mm -hmm. But then you need someone kind of checking the checkers. And this is why I said to, to people with, with apps, ChatGPT, anything else um, that's on the internet. The great thing about the internet is there's lots of information, lots of YouTube, lots of podcasts, lots of, but with that comes lots of shit as well. Yeah, agreed. That's, that's the challenge. Yes, absolutely. And I guess that's the important part about why we are, you know, taking our time for this because we want to, we don't want it to be one of those shit things on the internet. Yeah. Um, and it's really important for us that everything scientifically is valid and appropriate and accurate. Uh, and so, yeah, we're making sure that we, yeah, take our time to, to yeah, do that properly. Right. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Yeah. 
So um, what other kind of crazy research projects do you have on yet? What's what's on the horizon for the future in, in conjunction with this? Because I know you're not just working on one project. No. So I also currently work on a project for people with traumatic brain injury or actually acquired brain injury, um, where we implement uh, light in their home, particular lighting schedules oh, yeah. and lighting types uh, to help reduce fatigue because it's a common side effect of um, an acquired brain injury is ongoing fatigue. Um, and so we put uh, an in-home lighting intervention into their home to and study them over the course of six months uh, to see whether that makes improvements. Um, and the preliminary data has been published on that as well, and it showed that, that it did significantly improve uh, the fatigue levels of uh, the individuals involved in the study. Uh, and then I'm also doing a cog sleep CRE project um, on looking at whether uh, circadian, I'm doing a Mendelian randomization study to see whether, uh, to investigate whether there's a sort of genetic impact of circadian uh, disruption uh, and whether it's perhaps causally linked to the onset of dementia um, and oh. Alzheimer's disease and stuff like that, because we're becoming more and more aware that perhaps it's not just a symptom, of uh, dementia, but perhaps a perpetuating or even causal factor um, because we observe circadian rhythm disruption well in advance of any dementia symptoms, often in patients. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, my project is looking at that as well. Very interesting. And um, the paper you, uh, the one on the TBI, traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. was that the one led by um, Laura. Con- yes. Laura Conley? Yes. Yeah. That might be um, an interesting side conversation because um, I obviously do a little bit of research in mixed martial arts and combat sport athletes. Mm-hmm. We just finished a study looking at, uh, it was nearly a thousand people, but and we surveyed based looking at sleep quality and nutrition um, in combat sport athletes. So that might be an interesting one there because obviously TBI is a, an issue combat sport athletes, military personnel and so on. Yeah. So, and um, I think, yeah. you know, most of our patients are car accident um sort those sorts of things and because we also include stroke patients as well but I think people think that is a TBI but it doesn't have to be some major motor vehicle accident or a stroke mm, yeah, 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 yeah um that can you, creates... did, you, did, you, did you think people get TBI or a concussion from getting slapped in the head I was mm. actually just thinking about this a few weeks ago because I thought you know we, we're so conscious now of like you know people I watched this documentary on a guy called Jack Charlton, who was English, who won the 1966 World Cup soccer. Um, he was a player, but he ended up becoming a coach of the Irish Republic, the Republic of Ireland soccer team in the 80s and 90s. And he was one of the most successful coaches ever. And at the time in Ireland, like having an English coach was like, ooh, a taboo. But anyway, he was loved by <laughs> Irish people. He's one of only a few people ever to get Irish citizenship given by the president. I think it was him, John F. Kennedy, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa. It was only like a handful of people and he got it. But he had he died a couple of years ago. But I watched this really nice documentary on Stan and uh, with him. It was quite emotional because I grew up during that time and, and it was interesting to see. And I'm not a massive soccer fan, but they were saying that one of the things that could have led to his dementia was like, you know, hitting the head in the ball. Mm-hmm. And so then I started thinking to myself, I wonder, like, you know, when you're a kid years ago, your your parents like slap you on the back of the head or a teacher, or whatever. Like some days you might get slapped four or five times off a teacher. Yeah. As a young growing brain, you wonder like how much does that like impact you getting slapped around the head 20, 40, 20 to 40 times a week? Yeah. <laughs> and I got slapped a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> well, 
aside from the potential psychological damage, yeah, I have no doubt to some degree, and I'm definitely, that is not my area of expertise in terms of uh, the extent of injury or force is required for injury, but um yeah, I I mean you look at AFL now and they yeah, yeah. they're so conscious of it and I can't remember what it's called the disease where um, SCTE yeah that's the yeah. one um, don't ask me to pronounce it no that's why I, them, yeah, yeah just CTE yeah yeah um yeah. and you know you actually need minimal injury for that to potentially come about so yeah, yeah I think it's a not a bad thing to wonder about and yeah the other one as well is from um is from military people so you got these guys that um basically in infantry battalions or platoons or whatever you want to call them uh, well you got battalions regiments and then down to the platoon level these guys that are like um you often get referred to as what door knockers right or assault pioneers Um, and these are the guys that basically kick in the door you might see them on a, a news bulletin like you know on cnn where they're at the front of the door and they're like charging a door yeah, but just a blast as well from those things. And I remember, yeah. like, from my days in the infantry and the military, like going live firing exercise. And I was in that sort of area of us, you know, firing like heavy machine guns and mortars and stuff, or even in a trench, and like boom, and you feel it going through your body, like, and through your head. And you're like, Jesus yeah. Christ, this is crazy. Yeah. So, even those type of things are, are all being looked at now in terms of yes. how they affect people's, um, you know, CTE, TBI, all these type of things. Yeah. And then, like you said, the impact then the relationship on PTSD and, Mm-hmm. Some really interesting novel treatments. Actually, speaking to a psychiatrist earlier on last year in the States, and he said, do you know the way like um, sleep uh, is used basically to recover and consolidate memories, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we know. Yes. And he was saying there's potentially some talk about using sleep restriction within immediately after a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Because if you sleep after the event where people go, oh, you should just rest. That actually is reinforced that negative memory. Yes. But if you sleep restrict people and talk through in cognitive behavioral therapy, it might actually eliminate it very quickly, which I thought was a fascinating way to look at it. Yeah. I'm not too sure what's happening in that area, but it was something I think that we were there's discussing. someone at Monash in our group also following a similar kind of thought pattern and and yeah, research trajectory to that as well. Um, and I'm not overly familiar with it, so that's all I'll say because I don't really yeah, know yeah, exactly, yeah. but yeah. Um yeah given i mean it makes sense doesn't it given what we know about um memory consolidation and and then also what we know about the development of ptsd um yeah that kind of interventional strategy does sound like it theoretically it could be very promising mm. this is what i love about the sleep area you now people think that we have sleep cracked as a discipline but it's really only since the late fifties and sixties that we really had it. And I often say on this podcast as well, it wasn't until really the eighties. We had the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, you know, we had sparse bit of research and shift work. And um, mm-hmm. that's really increasing now lately. And um, if you look at Michael Estella's paper on sleep and athletes from 2010, it's like a hockey stick going up like that. Yeah. And we're, we really are at that. We're, we're at the start of like, you know, I would call a sleep rush, like a gold rush. We really are at the start of that. Now people are going off in all different directions and it's awesome to see. Yeah. And, um, you know, I couldn't a few agree years, more. it's I brilliant. Think... And, and a few years ago, people were like, oh, how long are you going to do that podcast for? And I was like, oh, maybe when I started in 2015, 16, I thought maybe I might get two years of it. You know, I know I'm like, Jesus Christ, there's so many people going in so many different directions. Like, I never, <laughs> I got to keep up. Yeah. I could do, if I had the time and the money, I could do this podcast, like I think five days a week. Yeah. At the moment, it's monthly, but um, I could easily, I probably will go to buy uh, two a month coming up soon, but I could easily go 
one a week or three or four a week, if not five days a week, I could do a full-time show on it if I had enough money for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what's really exciting about that from, I guess, for want of a better term, a clinical perspective is that it's also improving just the general population's idea of sleep and, you know, they're becoming well more aware how impactful it is on health and that it's a pillar of health, a standalone pillar of health. But we're shifting away from this mentality of, oh, I'm so tough because I only sleep four, four hours a night or, you know, that whole you know, you're better if you don't need as much sleep. We're actually really starting to transform that idea that, you know, actually you're much better if you get more sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more yeah, likable generally too. Yes, there's been studies on them um, and, and more attractive. We've seen studies on basically <laughs> attractiveness of people, you know, and it's so true. You see someone in a retired and you go, geez, you look like shit. Yeah. <laughs> like you look, you look really bad. And then they come in like refreshed and bouncing around. You go, oh, wow. It's actually kind of exudes out of, you know, it's, 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 it's quite fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So there you go. Stop getting Botox and go to bed. Um, (laughs) That could be a t-shirt. That could be a that could be a t-shirt. Yeah. I love that as a promotional. Yeah. (laughs) I also want to develop a t-shirt that says, uh, "Can you hear me?" That was from the lockdowns. Can you hear me on on Teams? Uh (laughs) You're on or or another one. You're on mute. (laughs) Uh huh. Um, listen, Jay, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And it's great to have you on the podcast to talk about this paper. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, contact you, follow your work, what's the best way they can do that? And we'll put this in the show notes as well. Uh, they can email me at uh, monash, so j.murray at monash.edu. Um, and they can also go to our uh, webpage, uh, which if you Google uh, sleep research monash, uh, you'll find the pages, the appropriate pages there. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Are you on LinkedIn? Yes. We'll put your link to LinkedIn if you want to connect with people. Yep. Twitter? Yes. Twitter that as well? Is Yes. Okay. I, Instagrams? No. Nah. Nah. No. TikToks? No. Nah. Not cool <laughs> enough for them. <laughs> me, me neither. Are you on the, uh, face, on the, on the Facebook? Their Facebook? I am on Facebook. Uh, Let's not encourage. Let's not put that on. Yeah, I close. (laughs) I I close my Facebook account. Well, I deleted it. Well, deactivated about a year and a half ago. It was too many scientists on there, so I just got off it. And so I just, I just do. uh, Scientists or wannabe scientists. Oh, let's not go down that path. That could be yeah. a five-hour conversation. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't it ever? <laughs> um, excellent. Thank Thanks you very so much, much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Um, Great stuff. And yeah, really good. <laughs>